This morning we're going to continue on in this series that we're calling Finding Our Way Back to Jesus. And if you will, it's kind of a series on what worship is. And we'll talk about different things. Today I want us to take a look at just what is worship from our side? I mean, worship from God's side is he does all these amazing things. He forgives us. He strengthens us. He renews us. He sends us Jesus. I mean, that's all part of what he does in every worship service is we're reminded of his gifts as he's present with us in communion. Today I want to take a look at some of what it is to make God smile. What it is to say, God, I love you. It just maybe as a pretext though, or maybe a commercial break at the very beginning of this is, um, I love the text of Noah as we begin to get ready for Easter. It's a text that we don't read that much except when we're in, I don't know, little kids or something like that. Remember the story and the archy archy and those kind of things. But it, if you take a step back and take a look at it, it's got some serious points that I think help us prepare for Easter. And I think, in many ways, a great text for Palm Sunday. Number one, it shows that God does get angry at the sin in the world. And he gets so angry that he's willing to destroy all of mankind because of their rebellion, because of their hatred toward him, because there's this failure and, and resistance to focusing on him, obeying him in their lives. That finally gets to a place where God says, that's enough. He grieved in his heart that he had made all of mankind. As you take a look at that, it's just one of those things that I think helps us understand what Jesus saved us from. I think so often we say, Jesus is our Savior, yay, and he sends us to heaven, but we forget what he saved us from, and that's hell. As you take a look at Noah, it's easy to get an understanding of what he was saved from. The waters that were sweeping down, all of mankind was wiped out except for him. When Jesus comes, we get so focused on heaven, and rightfully so. But he came to save us. We call him a savior so that we don't have to spend our eternity separated from him in hell. And it's a powerful, I think, underlying subtext as we go through this time preparing for Easter. Jesus did an amazing thing. God is an extraordinary in his love. He did not want to see us separated from him, and so we sent us his son so that we could spend our eternity with him. It's a big deal. And I think... As we take a look at it today, we're going to talk about it in terms of what Noah did to make God smile. And so we're going to kind of transition into that right now. Because one of the greatest questions that people have in life is, why am I here? You hear that from teenagers, you hear it from adults, you hear it in counseling sessions over and over. What is the purpose for my life? I seem to have gotten lost along the way. I seem to have gotten confused in what I'm supposed to be doing. Midlife crises ask these questions all the time. And it's a fun little question that's kind of befuddled the philosophers for millennia. That's what happens when you take God out of it, right? So wonderfully for us, the Bible has been very, very clear about answering this for us over the years. For it tells us in Revelations 4.11 exactly why God made us. And here it is. You, O oh God, created everything. And it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. In other words, John's just saying here that you were created for the pleasure of God. So if you want to know why you're here on this earth, if you want to know why you're alive, if you want to know why he gives you the very next breath that you breathe, it's because God made you to enjoy you. He made you to love you. So this may be hard for some of you to understand, but, but it just means this, that you were made not for your benefit, but for God's. You were made to bring pleasure to God, and that's why you're here. And so one of the great secrets of life is this very difficult saying that life is not about you. And you're saying, what are you talking about? It's all about me. It's what I feel. It's what I'm going through. It's what my experiences are. That's what I'm consumed with all the time. And yet God looks down on us and says, no, 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 you're missing the point. It's not all about you. It's about me. And until you understand that reality, you won't understand life, and you'll struggle with it a bunch. 
Like the more me-centric that you get in life, the more complicated your life becomes and the more difficult it becomes. Again, in Psalm 149, 4, it says, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. So I want you to think about that just for a second here. Those of you who are parents and you, and you have children, do you ever get pleasure by watching your kids? You know, when they do something right, when they hit a home run, when they, they say, I love you, daddy or mommy or whatever, don't you ever get pleasure? Absolutely. And so does our Heavenly Father. When we're doing the right things, he takes pleasure in watching you. He says, I made you, I created you, and I enjoy you. Again, you are made to bring God pleasure. And as such, that's the number one purpose of your life is to make God smile. We lose that in our culture today because we're so busy at filling our needs and our wants and our desires and trying to be God ourselves that we forget that there's something more important. But I think the question that necessarily follows this, if we want to get God to smile, is how do we do that? What brings pleasure to God? What causes God to smile? Does the Bible even talk about that? And the answer is yes. And so to talk about this this morning, I want to use a guy named Noah, because the Bible says that Noah was a pleasure to God. And so the question really becomes, what did Noah do that made God smile? Let's take a look. Now, just a little perspective here. At the very beginning, the Bible said that God created the world, and he looked down on it, and he was very pleased. He says, this is good. I did an awesome job. I love what I just made. He was so excited, and he talks about it in Genesis 1. He looked at the birds and the trees and the animals and the water and the sun and the moon, and he said, this is very pleasing to me. He created man and woman. He said, this is pretty good, too. I love this world that I've just created, and it brought him pleasure, and he created Adam and Eve to love them. But by the time Noah got around, hundreds and hundreds of years later, the world had taken a detour. They'd become morally bankrupt. The Bible says it this way. It says that there wasn't anybody in the entire world who thought about God, not one. God couldn't find anybody who was interested in pleasing him. So the Bible says he was grieved in his heart. He regretted making human beings because nobody was paying attention to him. But he looked at all of humanity and he saw this one guy who made him smile. His name was Noah. So today we're going to take and use the life of Noah to look at three ways that absolutely positively make God smile on your life. These are what we bring to worship. This is what it means to worship him. And so one of the first things that brings pleasure to God is that we must love him above everything else. The Bible makes this pretty clear. In Hosea 6, 6, it just says this. I don't want your sacrifice. And we might say today, I don't want your uh, I'm sorry's. I want your love. And I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. Now, does he still want I, I'm sorry's? And does he still want our offerings? Absolutely. But what does he want most? There's two things that God wants most from you in, in your whole life. And he wants you to know him. And he wants you to love him. If you miss that, you miss out on the whole purpose of life. Because that's what God wants from you. He made you to know him. He made you to love him. And he made, he made you to, so that he could love you. And he made you to love him back. So this is the first reason why God chose Noah. Noah had this relationship with God. He was focused on God. He says, oh God, I love you so much. And at a time when nobody else did. In Genesis 6, 9, it says, Noah consistently followed God's will and enjoyed a close relationship with him. All Noah's life, he loved God above everything. And just as evidence of that, right after the flood, after God wiped out all of mankind because of their sin, the first thing Noah does is he gets off that boat is he creates an altar to God to say, God, thank you so much. I love you more than anything, more than anyone. And over and over in Noah's life, he exemplified that. And here's the deal. God cares if you love him most. There was a time, another time in the Old Testament with a guy named Abraham. 
He asked Abraham to do one of the most difficult things he's ever asked anybody to do. He asked him to sacrifice his own son. This is totally anti-everything God's ever said about, about doing something like that. But in this one case, he asked Abraham to do it. And just before Abraham took the knife and, and went down, he said, stay your hand. Because ultimately, God did not want him to kill his child. And he said this, now I know you love me most. See, God cares if we love him above our family, above possessions, above materials, above our life here in this earth. He cares if we love him most. And Noah exemplified that in powerful ways. God then goes on to reveal his plan for us in even more detail. In Ephesians, Paul writes, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And it gave him great pleasure to do so, it says. So God says, I want a family, and I created you to be part of this family, and not just for here on this earth, while you're here this 80, 90, 100 years, but for all of eternity. For the next zillions and zillions of years, God wants you to be part of his family. And you do that, first of all, by saying, God, I want to love you. And God, I know I stink at this, but I want to love you more than anything else. Somehow in my life, I, I want you to become the most important thing. As a parent of three girls, especially when they were little, one of the greatest joys of my life was when I'd get home from work and I'd kneel down and all three of them would come and hug me, you know, and the littlest one at that time was crawling and they'd just hug me and say, we're so excited you're home, Daddy. And this was before allowance, so it was pure love, right? It was, it was real love. And, and they just wanted to say, Dad, we're so glad to see you. We love you so much. And they just wanted to be part of that, right? They just wanted to share that incredible love that they had for me. And, and, and there's nothing in this world that I would give up for that. There is no accomplishment in the world that measures up to something like that. And your Heavenly Father feels the same way. See, when you come to God and you say, God, I'm not coming to you today because I'm in a crisis and I need you to bail me out. And I'm not coming to you today because I got this big request. I want you to make me a millionaire or a supermodel or something like that. I'm just coming to you today because you made me. I want to get to know you. And I want to love you. When you do that, that thrills the heart of God. When you come to worship in the morning and you just want to say, I just want to be with God today. And I want to hear what is it that he has to share with me today because I'm so excited to be in his presence and I need his guidance, but I just want to hear what he has to say. And when you sing those songs that are praise songs to him and your heart fills up with just excitement because of who God is and what he's done for you, it thrills the heart of God. We bring pleasure to God when we trust him completely. How many of you guys are awesome trusters? Just show of hands. Amazing trusters. There's, there's not too many in our world today. We bring pleasure to God, though, when we trust him completely. So doing something we are not good at. Now, when your kids trust you, let me just ask, does that bring pleasure to you as a parent? Absolutely. Likewise, when we trust our Heavenly Father, that brings pleasure to God, too. In fact, the action of trusting God is called faith all the way through the Bible. The Bible says without faith, too, it's impossible to please God. Psalm 147.11 says the Lord takes pleasure in those that honor him and trust in his constant love. Again and again, God's saying that in trusting him, you're bringing him pleasure. It's hard, though, to trust him as we go through life. It's hard to trust him in the midst of adversity, that he's still there, that he still sees, that he still cares. It's hard to trust him when it even comes to the moral law and there's things that we want to do and he says that's not a good idea. It's hard to trust that he knows best. It's hard to trust that he always cares more about you than you do. And so as we take a look at Noah and we take a look at his life, we see that Noah trusted God completely. 
that he had incredible faith. The Bible picks up. It says, By faith Noah built a ship in the middle of a dry land. And he was warned about something he couldn't see, and he acted on something he was told. And his act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the righteousness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. So I want you to imagine this scene just for a little bit. God comes to Noah one day and he says, I need you to build me a boat. I looked over this whole world and it's a mess and I'm frustrated and I can't believe that this is how it's all gone. This is not at all the way I intended it to be. There's nobody in the entire world who thinks about me. Everybody's off on their own trip, doing their own thing, having their own party, and they're not thinking about me at all. They're destroying themselves. And they don't love me who created them. But Noah, when I look at you, I start smiling. I'm so pleased with your life because you're, you're making an attempt to live for me. So I'm going to save this whole world just because of you. I have to destroy it because it has become utterly corrupt and evil. I'm going to start over with you and your family. So buddy, I need you to build me a boat, an ark. And if you think about that, that took trust. Imagine if God comes to you tomorrow and asks you to build a, a tanker in your backyard. It just, first of all, you have to understand back in this time, it had never rained before on the face of the earth. The Bible says that God brought a mist up from the ground, kind of like condensation or a dew that you might find in the morning. And through this condensation, the whole earth was watered. But it had never rained. In fact, that's why they would get so excited when they saw the rainbow, right? Because it was something entirely new. They had never seen it before. It was awesome. They'd never seen it before because it never rained before. So God says you're going to build a boat because it's going to flood, because of a rain it's going to pour down from the heavens for 40 days and 40 nights. And Noah's like, what's rain? What does that look like? It took great trust. God was going to do an incredibly new thing on the earth. Noah also lived several hundred miles from the nearest ocean. So even if he did get the, built, the ship built, right, how was he going to get it to the water? He could have never imagined that God was going to bring the water to him. Again, it took great trust. And lastly, how was God going to figure out which animals were going to go with them? How was he going to gather them together? It seemed like an impossible task. But you notice, even though these seemed like all impossible questions, Noah didn't complain and he didn't argue. He didn't go, yeah, but God, I... He just trusted God completely. So what does it mean to trust God completely? It means you trust God to know what's best. In fact, in certain situations, that's the only way you can obey. God, I, you know better than I do what's best for my life. <laughs> and that takes trust because we often think that we know best for our life, always. I trust, though, even though I want to do this, that you saying no is what's best for my life. And so even though I want to do this thing over here, I'm not going to because I know you love me and you are watching out for me. It means you trust God to come for you, and you trust God to answer your prayers. You trust God to keep his promises, and you trust God to figure out how to handle the impossible things in your life. You trust God to do the impossible things in your life when things are just looking so overwhelming to you. You trust him completely, and when you do, Scripture says God smiles because we please God most when we trust him completely. We bring pleasure to God, too, when we obey him wholeheartedly. James 2.24 talks about this. It says we please God by what we do and not only by what we believe. For example, when you were growing up, was there any way you could bring pleasure to your parents? Yes, is the answer. Was obedience to them one of those things that would make your parents proud or happy or thankful? Yes, absolutely. So it's not surprising that obedience brings pleasure to God, too. Jesus said it this way. 
If you love me, do what I say. Don't just give me lift service. Give me your life. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's proof of your love to me. And when we do, this too brings pleasure to the heart of God. When we look at Noah, we see the, kind of an amazing example of this in his wholehearted obedience. In Hebrews eleven seven, it says, Noah obeyed and built a boat when God told him to do it. In Genesis six twenty two, it says, Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. What is included in the word everything? Everything. In other words, when God said, I want you to build me a boat, Noah didn't just build any boat. He built it to the exact specifications that God said. In the Bible, in Genesis, they're quite long, but they're there. God says, I want you to build it this wide and this deep and this high, and here's how I want you to put the door on and all that kind of stuff. And Noah followed it to a T. He followed it and obeyed God wholeheartedly. Imagine if God asked you to build a boat in your life. Don't you think you'd have a few questions, a few complaints, a few worries, a few reservations? Absolutely. Notice Noah didn't, that he just obeyed. What does it mean to obey God wholeheartedly then? First, it means you obey without reservations, without excuses, holding nothing back, no questions, no hesitations. We read in this story too that he didn't delay. He didn't say, I think I'll do it later, Lord. Does that sound good? Absolutely, I'll do it, but I'll get to it. It'd be like if you're a parent and you ask your kids, hey, come and help me with the dishes. And they said, absolutely, Dad, I'll, I'll be with you next week and we'll do that. No, no delayed obedience is called disobedience. So the question really becomes, do you trust God enough to obey even when you don't want to? And I ask it that way because sometimes we don't want to obey, do we? But wholehearted obedience means I do it immediately. I do it instantly. I do it completely. I don't pick and choose what it is that I want to do. I just, I just follow. It's not partial obedience where I say, God, here are the things that you've commanded. Good job. I want to let you know I love these things over here, so I'm totally going to do them. They sound great. But these things over here, they seem a little hard, a little difficult, a little too expensive. I don't think I can afford to do them. I don't think I can afford to tithe. I don't think I can afford to love my neighbor the way you're saying. I don't think I can afford to blank. Ultimately, I can't do these things over here because I just, well, I just don't want to do them. So again, I'll just do partial obedience. But there's a word for that, right? It's called disobedience. It's disobedience, and it means that you're not trusting God in that area of your life, and that somehow that has sway over you, and that somehow that has become your idol. Wholehearted obedience means I do what God asked me to do, but it's hard, isn't it? And that's why we need Jesus. And yet it's our struggle with this obedience thing that is the reason the world's in so much of the problems that it has today. If you want to summarize why there's so many problems in our world today, you could probably boil it all down to one factor, that people are more interested in pleasing themselves than they are in pleasing God. In fact, in many ways, men have forgotten God in our culture today. They're just more interested in doing what they want to do. Sadly, I'm sure there's people even that would come into church this morning and sit down in the pews right next to you who haven't the slightest interest in doing what God has asked them to do with their life. I mean, you think about the absolute arrogance in that, that God, the creator of the world, God again, made you to love you and calls you to follow. And yet you'd say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, God. Thanks for the start. It's almost so audacious and inconceivable. But it is the reason we have so many of the problems in our world today. People are just living for their own pleasure and they've forgotten God. In John 3, 19, he talks about this. He says, this is the crisis that we're in. God streamed light into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. 
Yet the Bible says that God's still on the lookout today. I was looking for Noah's 21st century Noah's. I was looking for people who say, I I want to live my life for the pleasure of God. I'm living for his smile. In Psalm 14, verse 2, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who are wise. And he asks, who is wise? And it continues, those who want to please God. My prayer today is that you seek to be such a person in your life. My, My prayer today as you prepare for Easter is that first and foremost, we come to him with all the things that we're not doing when it comes to worshiping God. That we're not loving him with all our heart because there's other things that matter more to us. That we're not obeying him completely because we don't want to in certain areas and we've calloused our hearts to think that that's okay. To the times that we just don't trust him, especially when we're going through struggles and we just stop leaning on him, stop counting on him, trying to do it all without him, not believing what it is that he says. My prayers, you get ready for Easter, is that you would confess, Lord, I have not worshipped you the way you've called me to. I have not loved you hardly at all. If, if this is the measure of what love is, I don't trust you, I don't love you, I don't follow you. And that we would confess this and then we would say, thanks for sending me Jesus. You saw the mess that I am <laughs> and you still sent me Jesus. You saw the, 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 the mess that the world's in and you still sent us Jesus. You'd promised not to destroy the world again through flood. You exiled your people, but that didn't work. You saw the mess that we are, and you knew we needed a Savior. Thank you for sending me Jesus. As you prepare your hearts for Easter, let the realization of what God saved you from dig deep into your heart. And let's, this week, just celebrate. Celebrate that God has sent us Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, as we talk about Noah in the ark, it's, it's kind of one of those amazing things that we learned when we were little. But there is some truth there that's hard for us to swallow. Truth is, you can't stand it when we're disobedient to you, when we turn our backs on you, when we decide to go our own way instead of your way. You call it sin, you call it rebellion, you call it hatred toward God and your word, and yet we've become so calloused on this because it seems like everybody's doing it. And Father, even knowing that's our state, that every inclination of our heart is evil all the time, you sent us Jesus. Father, thank you for that love. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thanking you for providing us a way to be part of your family. And Father, our prayer today is that you would give us strength to worship you and to make you smile. And all God's people said, amen.